This podcast is brought to you by Paul Simpkins and the Boldly Lead program, focusing on helping tech leaders like you end the frustration of low-performing teams and losing high-quality employees so they can increase productivity by 50%, go home on time, and sleep better at nights. Hello and welcome to the Tech Leaders Toolbox. I'm Paul Simpkins, and we're here because how you lead today determines how your team succeeds tomorrow. And I want to remind you that you are definitely a leader. And leaders grow by a commitment to become better each and every day. You know, it happens to many of us. Uh, it, I remember the first leadership position. I, I became a manager and automatically, of course, thought I knew it all. And like many of us, think that just having that title now means that we're a leader. Well, over time, we discover that there's more to it than just that. A lot more. Uh, wow, a lot more. And that's kind of part of the story of our guest today, who's going to give you some challenges that have proven to work to make you a more effective leader. Are you ready? Let's go. All right, I am thrilled to have with me today, Scott Miller. He is in his 24th year with the Franklin Covey Company. Uh, of course, you you know the Franklin Covey Company, of course, uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Leaders, uh, Highly Effective People. Uh, they provide a lot of training programs on leadership and time management and communication and many other things. Well, Scott is the Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership for them. He's also the host of On Leadership with Scott Miller, which is a video podcast that is available in several different forms as a webcast, a podcast, and a newsletter, and is distributed over 6 million leaders worldwide. Most recently, Scott is the author of the book, From Management Mess to Leadership Success, Become the Leader You Would Follow. Scott, welcome. Paul, thank you. It's my honor. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm going to start off like I always like to start off because I love journeys. And so let's hear yours. How did you end up here where you well, are mine's, today? Mine's messy, right? <laughs> it's the book. You know, I, I live in Salt Lake City. I'm 51. My wife and I have three boys, five, eight, and nine. I was raised in Central Florida, not too far from where you're based, and spent uh, four years at the Disney Company. I worked for the Disney Development Company. They are the real estate arm of the Walt Disney Company. They build the theme parks, hotels, and cruise ships and sell them back to the parent company. Worked there for four years. Uh, Disney, after about um, three and a half years, you know, they invited me to leave, which is a nice way of saying I was fired. And not exactly, but pretty close. You know, I was, I was young and immature and a bit of an interpersonal wreck and a jerk and nothing major. Just, you know what, I was not right for the Disney culture. Uh, I'm still great friends with those people, and I honor them. They were instrumental in me having a great 24-plus year career at the Franklin Covey Company. I moved to Utah uh, back in 1996, which was you know difficult for a single Catholic boy from Orlando moving out to Provo, Utah. Major cultural change, right? I had to develop some thick skin, which may or may not have worked for me. But I started as a frontline salesperson for Franklin Covey, selling leadership solutions to universities and colleges, and then moved my way up to be a sales manager, a sales leader, a vice president. I became the chief marketing officer for eight years, and then I became the executive vice president of business development 
And then now I'm the executive vice president of thought leadership. So I've moved my way up to the executive team, report to the CEO. I'm an officer in the firm and learned a lot of lessons along the way. My whole career is three steps forward, two steps back, sometimes two steps forward, three steps back. But it's been a great journey. And I shared a lot of my messes in the book, and I'm honored to be here. That that seems to be true of a, of a lot of leaders is uh, that, that it, kind of tortuous yeah. journey. Yeah. 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 So at what point in this journey did the idea of the book pop up? What prompted it? Yeah, it's, it's a great segue because, as you mentioned, I host what is now the world's largest subscribe to podcast for leaders called On Leadership. And I was interviewing about a year and a half ago, Stephen M. R. Covey. He's Dr. Covey's eldest son. He wrote a book called The Speed of Trust. Yes, book, love that Phenomenal book. book, sold 2 million copies. And as I was interviewing Stephen, I said, Stephen, was it ever tough being Dr. Covey's son? Right, His, his father wrote a book that sold 40 million copies. Did you ever feel compelled to write a book? And Stephen said, no, because I had nothing to say until I did. And when he did, he wrote The Speed of Trust. And I sat there in the interview chair and thought, oh my gosh, I've been in the firm for 22 years. I never had anything to say, but now I do. And so I was inspired to write this book because I feel like there's no shortage of leadership books, right? You and I have read hundreds of them, thousands of them. But what I think there was a shortage of was real, relatable, raw leadership books that were practical. Yes. I, I can't I can't relate to Bob Iger, right? The CEO of a Fortune 10. Loved his book, but I can't relate to him. And a lot of leadership books are academic books written by professors. I wanted to write a book that was very vulnerable. That was, you know, here's 30 challenges that you're going to face as a leader. And here's how I screwed up a lot of them. I also wanted to clarify that I don't think everybody should be a leader of people. I think that's a disservice that a lot of Mm -hmm. companies do. They lure people into leadership roles. So the book was received very well because I can basically just confessed a lot of my own problems and people really um, resonated to it. Thanks for asking. Right. So, and so I noticed that you have the book divided uh, speaking along that line where you said, you know, not everybody necessarily needs to be leading others. Yeah. But they all do need to be leading themselves. And so you divided the book into three major parts. Explain that a little bit. Yeah. So these 30 challenges are challenges that every leader will face. Are there more than 30? Of course. But after our 40 years in business, there were 30 that were quite instrumental in moving from mess to success. So the first dozen or so are organized around leading yourself. The next 10, I think, or so are about leading others. And the final about dozen are all around getting results. It's not a hard like segment. You could move them around. But generally speaking, I wanted to build an arch with a structure. And that's kind of how they lead, leading yourself, leading others, and getting results. Okay. So, and I noticed that uh, in the book, there's is kind of a, as you outline those 30 challenges, it's kind of a calendar layout is. Yeah. Yeah. What's the idea behind that? Well, I think it's just what you said, right? Is you know, more than 30 challenges, it might be a little bit daunting to people. So I curated with some colleagues 30 of the most prominent reasons we see people promoted and why we see people demoted or terminated. Mm -hmm. We organized them into a bit of an arc. And I thought it would be helpful to the reader to write a shorter book with short chapters. These chapters are funny. They're witty. They're raw. They're not about, not more than about three pages long. I usually share Uh, one or two stories per chapter, and they're organized where you could tackle it one a day, right? Read the book and then think about, okay, so today I'm going to practice challenge one. Tomorrow I'm going to practice challenge two. So you probably could tackle the book in a month, one a day, 
at the end of the 30 days, you'd see a major transformation in every mm -hmm. aspect of your life. Right. So in, so in that first section, the lead yourself section, the first challenge you start off with is humility. Yes. Is that, I mean, is that <laughs> intentional that that's the number very, one there? Yeah, very intentional because I lack the humility gene, right? I mean, I'm a fairly arrogant person. My wife reminds me multiple times a day, especially here in sequestration or in quarantine. You know, I've learned a lot. I used to think, Paul, that humble leaders were quiet, shy, retiring, not very forceful. I used to think that loud, powerful, charismatic leaders were the best leaders. I equated humility with weakness, but I've come to learn through a lot of my own readings and interviews that humility is a strength. Humility is born out of confidence. Confident people can be humble people. Arrogant people are incapable of being humble people. Humble leaders are more concerned with what is right than being right. It's a quote from Dr. Covey. Mm -hmm. So I think the first step is really to demonstrate humility and to show that a lot of us as leaders, as parents, as entrepreneurs, as friends, to quote Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great, we're more concerned with being interesting than being interested. And I think humble leaders are better listeners. They're more empathic. They're more in tune. They'd use less I language and more we language. So I wanted to start that as a foundation, mainly because it's a big struggle with me. And I think with a lot of leaders. Yeah, I, I always like to say with that, that, you know, a, a truly humble leader is confident enough in what they do know to be willing to admit what they don't know. Oh, well said. You ought to host a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. I've thought about it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, another one that caught my attention in that lead yourself section is you talk about carrying your own weather. Yeah. yeah. Again, this is an idea that was popularized by Dr. Covey in his book. It really is all about being proactive, being reactive, right? Proactive mm -hmm. people do not give their emotional state over to other people. They don't let situations, circumstances, flamboyant, reactive people hijack their weather, their metaphorical weather. Proactive people carry their own weather based on their own values, based on their own mission. It's very easy for us to let somebody else ruin our day, rain in our parade. And it's easier said than done, right? But it's really, if you are clear on your own values and your own mission, mm -hmm. which is easier said than done as well too, you won't give up your emotional well-being to other people. Here's a great example. I got feedback on a webcast that I hosted yesterday. It was pretty rough feedback. Like the person called me and said, I have some difficult news to share with you. And then they went into some of the things that a client wasn't happy with what I said. Huh. And it was really, you know, it was tough. It was really specific. And um, I didn't agree with it all. In fact, I didn't agree with a lot of it, but it didn't matter because that's what the client felt. Right. And who, you know, none of us can, you know, can, um, are in the luxury of, you know, irritating a client right now. And I literally got that feedback as I was joining another podcast. Literally, I was dialing in to another podcast as a guest when a vice president was giving me feedback on a previous webcast. And it was really tough. And I had to carry my own weather. 
because I could have let it, you know, crush me and distracted me. And, and, and to some extent it did, but I remembered this one, which is I'm going to choose to be proactive. I'm not going to be reactive. I'm not going to mm-hmm. lash out, defend it, deflect it, deny it, refute it. I did a really good job of listening. I didn't defend myself at all. I thanked her for the feedback and I went into my other podcast a little preoccupied, but not crushed. I carried mm-hmm. my own weather. And it gets easier with practice. You so, know what? 10 years ago, mm-hmm. it probably would have distracted me to the point of confusion where I might have even canceled the podcast because I wasn't prepared. You know what? I went right into it. Yeah. That that was a difficult lesson for me to learn as well. Um, and I think you know, what it sounds like you're saying is that carrying your own weather is really learning to respond instead of react that it's a matter of you choosing how you're going to respond and not just let the emotions take over that's exactly right is that proactive people recognize in every situation every conversation every argument every feedback session every meeting there is stimulus coming at you and you will respond and in the middle of that is this space where you have your freedom to choose your own reaction. The next time you're given information that elicits a strong response to you. In fact, a great tip is to write those things down. Write down the things that piss you off, the people that you know get under your skin. And ask yourself, the next time I encounter them or I'm in that situation, how do I want to show up? How do I want to represent myself? What do I want the outcome to be? And it might actually make your response a little more deliberate a little less impulsive, a little less reactive, and I'll bet you will reduce your conflict and manage your brand better in the process. Yes. You know, Dr. Covey said to know, but not to do is not to know. So this is one of those things where it's easier for you and I to talk about it, but it's mm-hmm. really challenging and rewarding to put it into place, you know, in a live situation. Yeah. Especially real, real hard to remember that when you're like, perusing social media nowadays. It's but, yeah, with all the <laughs> politics and yeah, it's true. It's yeah. All right. So, so in the lead other section, you talk about the value of relationships. Well, what's the hard lessons for a leader who ignores this? Yeah. yeah. Let me, let me, let me debunk an organizational myth. People are not a company's most valuable asset. It's not true. It is the relationships between people that are your killer app. That are your competitive advantage because Paul can be a black belt Six Sigma and Scott can have a, a Rhodes Scholar degree from Oxford. But if Paul and Scott can't get along, they can't diffuse conflict. They can't compliment each other. They can't forgive each other. Heck, they can't pre-forgive each other. I don't need you. Relationships in organizations are everything. And what Dr. Covey taught me is that with people, slow is fast and fast is slow. And there's time to have an efficiency mindset and there's time to have an effectiveness mindset. You know, he wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. A lot of people misquote it as The Seven Habits of Highly Efficient People. It's not. I'm a very efficient person. I like to get stuff done. I get up early. I mow the lawn. I rake the lawn. I wash the car. I write the driveway. Bam, bam, bam. That has served me well in life. Having an efficiency paradigm has made me a very productive person. I get a lot done. My biggest problem, Paul, is I take that efficiency mindset and I move it over into my relationships with people. Mm -hmm. 
you cannot be efficient with people. You have to slow down. As a leader, you can't accelerate relationships. You have to, when someone comes to your office, close your laptop, turn off your phone, take off your glasses, check in and slow down. Recognize when should you be efficient and when should you be effective. That will transform leaders like me that have a bias to action. We love a good crisis, right? And we feel validated to saving the day. Those are good skills to have, but they can't be your operating speed in relationships. Yeah, I found also really as a leader, you have to learn to to go at their pace with a relationship that when you're building a relationship with someone, you know, for them to feel safe, it's got to be at their pace. With your spouse, with your father-in-law, with your neighbor, right? I mean, I, I, I'm, you can tell I'm an amped person. When I pick up my poor father-in-law at the airport, he's in his 80s. You know, I, I've asked him 70 questions before we get to the house. The guy's exhausted. And for me, <laughs> I'm just trying to build rapport and fill the awkward space with my father-in-law, who I don't know very well. And by the time we get to the house, he thinks he's been through the CIA interrogation. So <laughs> I have to be careful, to your point, about matching my energy and my speed with his. Yeah. All right. I wanted to move to um, – you talk about uh, – as a fire prevention practice, spending time in one-on-ones. Yeah. What's the critical, how critical is that? Well, I think it's, I think it's uh, not to be cliche-ish. It's probably the, one of the most important roles of a leader is to connect with your people. These one-on-one meetings are not about checking on. They're about checking in. Mm-hmm. It's a massive difference. This is not your meeting as a leader. This is your team member's leader. They create the agenda. They lead the meeting. They schedule it. They ask the questions. They do 80% of the talking. You do 20% of the talking. This is your chance to understand what it's like to work here. What are your fears? What are your passions? What's it like to work for me? This is a chance for you to understand their level of engagement. Let me debunk another OD myth. Leaders do not create engagement, Paul. You know this. Leaders create the conditions for other people to choose their own level of engagement, high and low. This is a chance for you to know and learn what's going on. You know, what are you, what are you, what are you fearful of? What are you scared of? What are you passionate about? How can I help you? People don't quit leaders who love them, who respect them and who listen to them. So this, this one-on-one meeting, it's important to have a good cadence, half hour, once a week, less if you have more of a direct reports. But this is not your meeting. This is theirs. And resist the temptation to do all the talking and ask questions. Your job is to listen, clear the path, and help understand what's going to help keep them engaged and stay for the long term. Yeah, I, I've told people before with that, you know, sometimes the best thing to do is ask a question and then take the smartest move, which is shut up. Yeah, and don't interrupt, right? It's so yeah, hard exactly. because as leaders, we're trained to ask questions and peel the onion. We're trained to influence and clarify mission and vision mm-hmm. and talk and communicate and be persuasive. Those are good skills to have, but those are not the right skills in a one-on-one meeting. You need to check all of that. I find the best way to have a one-on-one, I, I do not drink Diet Coke ever, but I take 
a can of open Diet Coke and I put it in my hand. And it's a reminder to me whenever I'm tempted to do all those things that I'm good at, I look at the Diet Coke and I realize this is not the time. I don't drink Diet Coke and I'm not going to probe or interpret or evaluate or peel the onion. I'm just going to listen. Take some kind of metaphor or mnemonic or some prop to remind you to check everything you've learned about being an influential communicator and don't do any of it. Just empathically listen. You'll learn so much about what's happening in your people's lives because they're bringing their whole lives to work. All their bills they don't pay, all their life challenges, they're bringing them all to work now. And that's the whole person mentality. Great. I want to move to the last challenge that you presented in the book. Get better. Yeah. Now, most people talk about getting incrementally better, but you seem to be advocating something different here. You said, uh, as I recall in the book, you said not just doubling down, but quadrupling down on your improvement. What does that look like? Yeah, I, yeah, I think I think it's time for everyone to disrupt yourself, right? Act or be acted upon. I love taking control of my own career. No one's going to fire me. I'm going to fire myself. I, I think that great advice is to move outside of your comfort zone, and disrupt your learning. You know what? Instead of listening to my podcast, go host your own podcast. Instead of reading my book, go write your own book. Instead of reading my blog, go write your own blog, right? I mean, every one of us, your influence, Paul, is because you moved outside your comfort zone, right? And you did things that were new and uncomfortable. I'll bet you've had a couple of podcasts you're not proud of. I've hosted a few I'm not proud of, oh, yeah. right? You know, I've rewritten the book, Management Mess, because my second edition is better than the first edition. I added 10 stories and a couple hundred edits. And so my point is, is to is to exponentially improve your learning. Most of us are going to be generalists in our career. Very few of us are specialists, right? Some people are meant to be an anesthesiologist or a a commercial airline pilot or a dental hygienist. The majority of us are specialists. Sorry, the majority of us are generalists. And how you become a competent generalist is to just be insatiably curious, right? And to be reading and writing and podcasting listening and going to conferences. And so my my X factor is don't just consume, but be confident enough to share your own ideas. You never know when your podcast might be a hit, right? You'll start with one listener. It'll be your mom. And then you'll get three. And then you'll get 33. Then you'll get 333. And three years mm-hmm. from now, you'll have 3,300 or whatever it is, right? So I think the person who is insatiably curious is going to be the person who disrupts themselves Mm-hmm. and is nimble and agile enough to find themselves land uh, well in the new economy right. that will look nothing like it does right now after, you know, coronavirus. Right. Uh, and I love that principle because one of the things I've discovered, you know, my part of my background is as a corporate trainer uh, right. for 30 years. And one of the things I discovered early on with it was how much I learned just by the fact that I was teaching. I learned so much more teaching something than I ever did getting prepared for it. Yes. So true, right? Is if you want to learn something, everyone will tell you, be the teacher because you have to learn it in a way that you're always ahead of the student. Yeah, well said. Well, and every time I'm teaching, I learn something new because somebody comes up with a question I hadn't thought about before. And so I think, again, along the same lines of, you know, as far as 
quadrupling down on your improvement is, you know, as you're sharing, and again, you just need to be that little step ahead of somebody else. As you're sharing, you're learning more and moving that marker up, up, and, and up. Oh. All right. So Scott, I agree more. I'm sorry. I said I couldn't agree more. Well said. Okay. All right. So Scott, what's one tip or one thing a leader can do or apply today yeah. to add value to your team? Remember that you're not the smartest person in the room. Your job is not to be the genius, but be the genius maker of others. I learned that principle from Liz Wiseman. She wrote a seminal leadership book called Multipliers, right? That we're, we're always multiplying and accidentally diminishing people. I learned a valuable lesson, Paul, as the chief marketing officer. I kind of thought it was my job to be the smartest, most creative, best idea wins as long as it's mine. And I was always uh, a bit jealous and, and insecure around people who were more talented than me. And I think as a result, I sometimes didn't consciously hired people that were more talented than me. I didn't go out and recruit people that had the best skills. I was, I was a bit jealous and fearful. I'd remind people, your job is not to be the genius. Your job is to recruit and retain the best talent possible, including people who are noticeably and palpably more educated and more qualified than you are and be secure enough to realize, hey, my job is to be the magnet, right? To get them all in and keep them there, keep them engaged. Don't try to be the smartest person in the room. No one wants to work for that person. And by the mm -hmm. way, you're not the smartest person in the room. You're only fooling yourself. Oh, yes, I agree. Thank you. So we've been talking with Scott Miller with Franklin Covey and the author of the book, From Management Mess to Leadership Success, Become the Leader You Would Follow. Scott, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, my pleasure, my honor, Paul. Thanks for joining. While you're here, take a moment right now to go ahead and subscribe to the Tech Leaders Toolbox podcast. You'll find the button to subscribe right here on the page. Do that, and you'll always be up to date on the bold and innovative leadership principles we're sharing here. Oh, and come join the Tech Leaders Toolbox Facebook group as well, where we'll all discuss these concepts in more detail and answer your questions. So subscribe today and share this with your friends. All right, so this is the point, uh, again, in the program. Uh, I'm a big fan of outdoor cooking. I have a grill. I've got a smoker. I've got Dutch ovens galore. And, and I do a lot of outdoor cooking over open fires, just about any way you can do it. And I, so I love to share recipes uh, for outdoor cooking. And in fact, I have a, a Facebook group called Smoke and Ash, which is me and all of my friends. And we all share outdoor cooking recipes, ideas, uh, and of course, the latest gadgets and toys that we found. And we put those out there. Uh, so I invite you if you if you're into that, you know, again, come join us on Smoke and Ash and be part of that group. And so I always invite when I have a guest, I invite them if they've got a favorite outdoor cooking recipe to share it with us. And Scott says he has one. So Scott, what do you got for us? Well, mine might be more of a problem than a recipe. So I'm going to talk about corn because you hear a lot about corn, right? You hear, well, just grill it in the husk. And then you hear, you know, grill it open with butter on it. And others tell you, no, dehusk it and put it in aluminum foil. I've tried all of those. I think my favorite is probably um, 
grill without the husk with lots of butter on it. But Paul, I'd ask you, you're probably an expert at that. What, what do you think I should do? Because I love corn in the cob, but I love to grill it and then I love to shave it off the cob. I hate kind of eating it on the cob. Mm-hmm. It's in my teeth. I love to have you know a big mound of corn. What advice would you give me mm-hmm. on which of those is your best and proven method? Well, if you choose the right kind of corn and if you're grilling – uh, and again, if you're using charcoal, um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of propane and because, um, again, everything gets that smell and taste to it. But if you're grilling over charcoal, I leave it in the husk and I put it straight in there, you do, uh, yeah. straight on and just just again, turning it frequently. Yeah. Uh, and and that if you choose the right corn, good, sweet corn, you don't even need butter and salt on that. It's wow. Just, wow. But what I really love to do, because I have a smoker, is I'll take the husk off. I'll put it out on the smoker. I'll just move it to the farthest spot away from the heat source in the smoker and just let that smoke just get all throughout that corn, that smoke flavor. And that is just so How long? Like how long does that take? Usually not more than an hour. Okay, but but it could be a full hour. Got it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. So I put it out on the smoker and then just, you know, again, if you want to season it with a little barbecue seasoning, I'll use sometimes the same rub mixture that I put on my meat. I'll put on the corn oh, yeah. and put it out there. So anything like that. <laughs> I'm sorry that my tip ended up becoming your tip, but that's a good thing to share. So I appreciate the advice. Glad no, I, I love the perspective. And now you got something new to try. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> All right. So today... Again, uh, we've been talking with Scott Miller, and uh, Scott has talked about uh, 30 challenges that you will face as a leader and some ways in which you can meet those challenges, including remembering that you don't need to be the smartest person in the room. And in fact, it's better off if you aren't. So Scott, tell us what you're working on right now. Well, I'm privileged to have just co-authored a new book that became a Wall Street bestseller, Wall Street Journal bestseller. Everyone deserves a great manager, the six critical practices for leading a team. I'm spending a lot of time on that. I'm in the process of um, writing some new books in the Mess to Success series. I'm going to author a book next called Marketing Mess to Brand Success. The next one will be job mess to career success and then parenting mess and on and on and on. So in the next, I think, decade, I'll have a whole whole variety of mess to success books out there. And uh, that's my passion for Franklin Covey. I'm working on delivering a lot of keynotes and hosting the podcast and and, uh, leading our thought leadership team. I'm very honored to be a part of that firm and that brand. So raising three boys here with my wife. We have a five-year-old, eight-year-old, and nine-year-old. And... um, Surviving the virus and getting ready to look forward to a, hopefully a thriving summer and fall for the entire world. Great. Thank you so much, Scott. My pleasure. Thanks for the audience. Oh, yes. All right, folks. And uh, don't forget, that's all we got for today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you're notified every time we have a new episode come out. Also, if you have any uh, questions for me, you can send them to Toolbox at boldlylead.com. That's TL Toolbox at boldlylead.com. If you have a recipe you'd like to share for our outdoor cooking part, send that to that same address. And if I use it on the show, I'll give you credit for it and mention your name. Uh, So that's it. Uh, Until the next time, go out and be the leader you were meant to be.